Last week we talked about Caleb. And Caleb was a man who was unlike the other ten spies. He and Joshua said, let's go into the land that God has promised us because God's going to give it to us. The other ten said, no, we can't go because the giants are too big, the cities are too fortified, and we will fail and they will devour our children. But Caleb was the one who said, let's go. And I I think we were all excited last week to hear about Caleb and how he was ready to go and to fight even at 85 years old and he wasn't going to let anything stop him. But sometimes when you get excited for the Lord and you do things for God and you're ready to go, people will try to stop you and tell you that you can't. And that's where Nehemiah's story comes in this morning because Nehemiah was a man who said to God, who said to his people, let's go. But then there were those who told him, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to do that. You can't do it. You're not going to succeed. And so I want us to see this morning how, as excited as we can be about going, what do we do when people try to discourage us? What do we do when even Satan tries to attack us and stop us and keep us from doing what God has called us to do? Nehemiah's story starts about a hundred years before he's even born, when his Nation, the nation of Judah and his people were attacked and destroyed and conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They burned the city. And Nebuchadnezzar took all of, not all of them, but took many of the people of Jerusalem and Judah and took them to Babylon. They were there in Babylon for 70 years. But God promised them that he was not going to keep them in captivity forever. God sent them there because they had worshipped idols and they had gone and disobeyed him. But he said, you're coming back. I will restore you. And so God did. Under Zerubbabel, people came back. The Jews came back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple at the encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets. Uh, More than a generation later, some more Jews came back under Ezra. And Ezra was a teacher of the law. He was a priest, and so he encouraged the people to worship God and to worship God properly. And so there was a a revival, there was a reformation among the people. A a dozen years later is when Nehemiah comes on the scene. Uh, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to now King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire that had conquered the Babylonian Empire. As a cupbearer to the king, he served the king, but he heard word of his beloved country and its capital city, Jerusalem, that it was still in ruins. All these years had passed, and still it was in ruins. He prayed to God. God gave him a vision to go back and to build the city again. Also, he prayed that the king would honor his request. And what did Nehemiah ask for from this pagan king? He asked the king for protection, traveling there, and he also asked for all the materials to build the walls. That's quite a a request, isn't it? But the king granted it, and Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He surveys the city. He sees the damage. He sees the work that needs to be done. And he tells the people, the leaders, that he wants to rebuild the city. And this is what they say. Nehemiah says, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. 
and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. So you notice this is like Caleb. Uh, These leaders were not like the ten spies who said it's too dangerous, it's too difficult, we can't do it. These leaders agreed with Nehemiah. They said, let's go, let's do it. God's given you this, uh, this task, and this task is a good work. Let's do it. You've got the resources from the king. Nothing's stopping us, nothing's holding us back. Let's go. So Nehemiah and the people were ready to obey God and take on this task of rebuilding their city and bringing honor to the Lord. Much like Caleb was ready to glorify God by taking the country that God had given to him. But as I talk about Nehemiah this morning, I want also to talk about Olive Branch and see from the story of Nehemiah how it relates to our church and to where we are right now today in 2020. So Nehemiah and the people said, let's go. And I believe we as a church have that sentiment, that idea. Ever since I've been here, almost seven years now, I've never gotten the idea or the feeling or the spirit from this church that this is a a lazy church or a fearful church or anything like those Israelites in the past who doubted God and tested God and were uh, uh, afraid. We're not that way. We are doing what God has called us to do. And what Jesus has called us to do is very obvious in the Scripture. He's given us a great commandment. It says in Matthew where Jesus answered This, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great command that God has given to we as Christians, but to all people, really. This is what we are to do. Love God and to love others. We have that as our a commandment as a church, as individuals. We also have this great commission from Jesus in Matthew 28 when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus' great commission to make disciples. And we as a church are doing that. Also in the book of Acts, we have a model, they have the example of the early church and how they worshiped together, how they taught each other, how they fellowshiped together and took care of each other, and also how they reached out and they evangelized. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see the community that they had? Do you see the outreach that they had? Do you see the worship? And the joy, and people saw it and were inspired and couldn't believe what God was doing. And notice the last verse there. Daily, there were people who were joining the early church, wanted to be part of this movement of the Lord. So I say here at Olive Branch that uh, we understand what Jesus has commanded us and the commission that he's given us. And we understand that the purpose of our church is to worship and to teach and to 
care for one another and to reach out. We understand that and we are doing that. I want to share with you a few ways that we are doing that. I can't spend time to go into detail about everything that you'll see here. But I think about the fact even this morning you're here in a worship service and there was one earlier this morning. Uh, we're a church that's committed to having a two worship service, a traditional music and a contemporary music service. Uh, do you realize how unique that is uh, in this area? Uh, there's churches that have traditional services. There's some that have contemporary. If you know Neil Blackwell, who uh, sings here, uh, plays his guitar in the praise team, he said that uh, one reason he's here is he went to the churches in our area that had contemporary services. And, I mean, this is him speaking, because I haven't been to as many churches as he had. He said they didn't compare at all to what's here at Olive Branch. He, he tells me over and over how uh, different, how unique, how special uh, our music is here at Olive Branch for this area. So think about that blessing that we have here. Uh, there's adult ministries. Many of you came from Sunday school this morning as you were coming into the sanctuary. There's others there. Again, I don't have time. You can read them. But things that we're doing to reach out and also to care for each other. Our, our youth and children's ministries that we have here at Olive Branch. Think about uh, <clears throat> this Wednesday night, for example. We had about 50 teenagers here in the sanctuary. We had over 30 children uh, in our uh, children's ministry, uh, Sunshine Girls and Boys of Courage. Uh, yesterday we had 140 children playing basketball. Uh, as you notice every Sunday morning when... Uh, it's time to go to children's church. Half the congregation leaves. <laughs> the children are, are leaving. Isn't that a great thing to, to see uh, uh, the children, the families here, and also uh, Olive Branch ministering to them in many ways? Uh, look at all of the things that we're doing as outreach as a church. Uh, I, I, I could say these words. I'm impressed. I'm proud. And look at all the places in this country and around the world that our church members have gone to. This is just in the last few years. This isn't over the last 100-plus years. I mean, look at those countries going and sharing the gospel. Uh, Pastor Brady mentioned the announcements, impact. I mean, there's all kinds of things up there. Uh, we had our fall festival this fall, obviously, <laughs> the CLC. We had about uh, 600 people down in there. I don't know how we all fit in there. I'm glad the fire marshal wasn't there. He would have probably kicked half of us out. Uh, We've mentioned the Easter egg hunt. I was so bummed last year we had to cancel it because of the weather. I'm looking forward to it this year. And we've mentioned many times that uh, Pastor Anthony was the first one to mention how it looked like Hunger Games when those Easter eggs are out there and the kids just from the side. But hundreds of them uh, come to that. So uh, many other things on there. The Thanksgiving luncheon. Like I said, I could, I could spend uh, a long time all afternoon talking about the great things that God is doing in all, through Olive Branch that we are committed to that we are doing. So as uh, your pastor, I want to thank God for the resources he's given us. I thank God for who you are, that you're here, that you're doing it. I'm thankful that, uh, that we get it, that what we're called to do, and we're doing it, and we are giving God the glory for it. So I, I'm thankful for that. I want you to hear those good things first, because they're important, because I'm going to share some discouraging things in a moment, because just like Nehemiah faced discouragement, it's easy for us to face discouragement. So when we left Nehemiah's story, they were going, they were doing. But then the words, you can't, started to come 
from all over the place, literally all over the place. From the north, south, east, and west, there were enemies of the Jews who did not want them to succeed. They wanted the Jews to remain a beaten down nation. They wanted that city to remain a ruined city. They didn't want them to succeed. And so once they saw that they were getting together, they were coordinated, they had a leader, they were succeeding, they wanted to put a stop to it. And this is how they did it. First, they started by ridiculing them. They used verbal attacks. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah writes, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Do you hear what they're saying? How pathetic. Can you really do it? Are you really going to succeed? Are you ever going to finish it? How can you do this impossible task? How can you bring back things that are dead back to life? And also, this is almost humorous, but also very biting and hurtful. Whatever they build, even if a little fox jumped on it, that's going to knock it over. You see the discouragement coming. You know how you can be so excited about serving God. You can be so excited about life. You can be so excited about doing what's right. And people can come into your life and just say a few words. And they can bring you down just like a jet plane crashing to the ground. Now isn't that discouraging and frustrating? People can just say, really? You're going to do that? You're never going to accomplish that. You're... Crazy. You're pathetic. Why even bother trying? You're going to fail. And you've heard that and many more things. People trying to discourage you. The Jews had some strength from the Lord and the verbal attacks didn't work. But that the enemies didn't stop just with the words. Now it was time to physically attack. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashadites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. Nehemiah also writes, And our enemies said, They won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. The words didn't stop the Jews, from building the walls. In fact, they were building them and they were succeeding. So now the enemies came and said, we're going to put a stop to it if we have to come and kill the Jews that are building the wall. We are not going to allow this to happen. The second time they become furious at people doing the work of God. You can imagine how if you were a Jew there working, you heard the the, uh, verbal attacks, now there's threats of physical attack, they're saying they're going to come and kill you. You can see how you would easily get discouraged and how you would want to give up. And that is what happened to the Jews. In Judah, it was said, 
the strength of the laborer fails, since there's so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. Look how far in their excitement, their desire to work for the Lord, look how far they've fallen. They see the work to be impossible now, and they fear they will never finish it. Because the enemy had been verbally attacking, the enemy had been physically threatening, and now they're wholeheartedly discouraged. Now, I know it's getting darker and depressing in here. (laughs) I want to share some more discouraging things for a moment so we can hear some good news. Let's talk about our American culture. We as a church are ministering in a time, in a country that is harder than ever to minister. As you look at this graph, I hope you see this. You can't maybe make out all the numbers, figure it all out, but this is the main point of it. In 1955, 94% of Americans, when polled, said they were Christians. 94%. Notice now, this is five years ago, it's even worse now, how many people now are not even religious at all? You see the gap, the green in the middle is getting smaller and smaller. Those are people who say they're Christians. In the light blue, no religion is getting bigger and bigger. And that has been happening year after year after year. As I said, this was five years ago, and it's even worse now. So we're trying to minister in a culture where it's not that a lot of people hate Christianity. I'll talk about that in a moment. It's just that Christianity to them is just irrelevant. They don't need it. They don't need God. They don't need religion. They don't need Christianity. They just don't need any religion. It's not that they're uh, Muslims or they're Buddhist or they're some other religion. They just don't want any of it. I think a lot of Americans feel like they don't need it. Uh, And America is a prosperous nation. For the most part, uh, Americans are, are prosperous, especially compared to the rest of the world. And they don't have a need for God. And we're having more and more generations of people who never knew God. Think about this. If your parents didn't bring you to church, didn't know anything about Jesus, nor did your grandparents, how would you even know about God or know about Jesus or care about it? You're not going to hear it in the schools. You're not going to hear it on network television. You're not going to hear it on the news. I mean, where are you going to hear it? You're not going to. And so that's why now we have more, we have people now that their parents and grandparents weren't Christians, weren't religious, and they're not. And as those generations and those get more, we're going to have more and more people that just aren't religious. That's the reality of where we are serving. But the nation is also becoming more anti-Christian because there are some people that hate Christians. Look at that sign. If Jesus returns, kill him again. It is. It is crazy. I went to that website, undojesus.org. It's a legitimate website. I don't know if it's just this one guy with a sign, and that's his website, and there's one guy. And maybe it's one guy. Maybe he's got, it's himself and his family. Maybe it's him and a dozen others. I don't know how many people uh, you know, are part of this group, but it is a legitimate one, at least for this one guy. And it was, it, it said on there, basically its whole purpose is to convince people to 
Well, you can see the picture. Throw Christianity in the trash. That's on his uh, sweatshirt. Get rid of it. It's dangerous. It's harmful. Get rid of it. I find the irony in the other sign. Life begins when you stand up to Christian fascists uh, with an exclamation point, uh, spoken with a megaphone. I mean, who's the fascist here? You know, I mean, it's a, so a, a fascist is telling you to stand up to other fascists. But anyway, the, what is happening in our country is that it's not, again, not, there's a lot of people that just aren't religious. They don't care. That's increasing. But there's also a segment of our nation that is becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. And our nation as a whole is becoming anti-Christian. And what's uh, alarming to me is when something is labeled as dangerous, then you are justified in doing whatever you need to to eradicate it, to stomp it out. As long as Christianity is either uh, the preferred religion or whether it is just seen as something there and tolerated, that's one thing. But if our nation gets to the point where majority see Christianity as dangerous... That's when the real persecution will start. Because at that point, you need to eliminate Christians. You need to eliminate their faith because it's dangerous to our nation. We're not there yet, but we're going there quicker and quicker every day. So you can imagine how difficult it is to minister and be a church in a culture that's more and more anti-Christian and more and more Christianity is irrelevant to me. Also, people are busier. And I don't necessarily mean busy in a bad way. I'll just share, but this is just a perfect example. Years ago, someone you would consider a faithful uh, Christian, uh, you know, someone who, you know, you would say that person's a real faithful Christian, and they attend church regularly, and they serve in the church. They would be at church four Sundays a month. Uh, a few years ago, I would say someone who's very faithful to the church and who serves a lot is probably going to be at church three Sundays a month. I would say nowadays, uh, someone who's really devoted to a church, faithful to God's probably on average at church two times a month. And again, it's not because they're at home sleeping in bed, lazy. It's because they are visiting family, they're going to family reunion, they're going on vacation. You know, our, our culture is just busier. Uh, people are traveling more than ever. They're doing more things more than ever. Again, not necessarily bad things, just busier things. And so when that happens, you can see how it's hard uh, for uh, church attendance to be high if half the church is only there half the time, and also uh, if uh, these other things that are happening. So that can be depressing and discouraging. Just two more, and we'll move us to some good news, okay? Uh, when we text messages, uh, isn't it uh, sort of expected that if you text something, you will get a quick response in return? Uh, that's kind of been awkward for me because I'm not certain at times, uh, maybe I don't want to respond right away. You know, maybe I'm busy, or maybe I want to think about it, or maybe I want to give you a phone call. But if I get a text, I feel like I've got to respond quickly, or that person is going to think I'm ignoring them, or I don't want to talk to them, or I'm being rude to them. And if you're on the other end and you do text someone, you do kind of expect a response quickly. And sometimes you do feel that way. They haven't texted me back. They must uh, be rude, or they don't want to talk to me. You don't think maybe they're, well, Wanda was talking about being in the bathroom, so I can talk about that. Maybe they're in the bathroom, and that's why they can't text you back. But it can be uh, discouraging and disappointing to, uh, to send something and not get a response in return. So again, as we live in a culture where we as Christians are facing more opposition, 
we may be doing more and more things, but the response that we get back is just silence or it's crickets or things aren't happening. And so, for example, I gave you these examples this morning of our basketball. 140 children yesterday. Uh, most of those kids, if they weren't already Olive Branch children, they're not here this morning. When we had the 600 people for a trunk or treat, they're not here this morning. Uh, we do all of this ministry, and at times we feel like we're doing it, but no one's listening, no one's responding, nothing's happening, uh, we're not growing, and that can be discouraging and disappointing. But I'm always, remember this, that as I just read to you, Jesus said that he is with us. Remember he said, this is the great commission, make disciples, but then he also said, lo, I am with you always. So when we're doing God's work, God is always with us. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 that we never are doing work for the Lord that's in vain. Everything we do for God makes a difference. We may not see the difference now, but certainly when we are in heaven, we will be rewarded for it. So all the work that we do for the Lord makes a difference. We will be rewarded for it. It's not in vain. And the Lord is with us and helping us because we're doing his work we're not doing community work we're not doing charitable work there's lots of groups that do that we're doing god's work and if we're doing god's work he is going to bless it some way somehow this is the last bit of discouraging disappointing news and then we'll move on to the good news okay what also can be discouraging you live in a culture that's anti-christian you can uh, try your hardest to teach the gospel and do good things and the community doesn't respond. Also, it, it can be discouraging when you uh, do come to church and you look around and it seems like there's less people or it seems like a, it should be fuller. I, always, I do find it interesting if, if our sanctuary was half as big and it was full all the time, you know, we'd feel really great about that. And if it was twice as big and it was only a quarter full all the time, you'd feel really lousy about that even though it's the same number of people. It's just human nature. We, 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 we naturally feel good about uh, having a big crowd, even if a big crowd's 12 people cramped in a room, okay? But anyway, just I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to show you that uh, if you're talking about worship attendance at Olive Branch, uh, I first came in 2013. So I, I remember I was really excited after a year. I mean, there were more people here. In fact, I remember this. It was, uh, uh, in, I came in March of 2013, it was January of 2014 that I, was, I, I gave a challenge. That, you know, we had 235 people last year. Let's have 260 this year. That was my challenge. I don't know why 260 was the number, but I remember that being the number. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen, but that's okay. Uh, as you see, it kind of went down, but it was going back up. And then you see a huge drop-off when Pastor Anthony left. Now, that's been uh, three years ago almost now. That's hard to believe that it's been that long. But as I, I, I thought about that, I thought about this, that churches are always changing. Uh, I think about the, uh, the people who have passed away that were here in 2013, many in this church. I think about all the people that have moved away, many here in this church. Uh, think about some who have left the church, maybe because Pastor Anthony's not here. Or maybe if they found a place where they could worship God in a place that they were more comfortable with. That's discouraging for us 
when someone says, I want to worship God and I want to serve God, but I don't, don't want to do it with you. <laughs> I want to do it with these guys. I mean, that is discouraging, but let's be honest. That, isn't that true? That, that's why we have so many churches. Is because we're all different. We have different personalities. We have different outlooks. We have different doctrine. We have different ways we do things. And so we naturally get together when we have that in common. And when we have that in common, we do that together. And so I, I, I've also thought about this many times. And this can be a hard pill to swallow, hard to think about. Could you imagine if God did a revival here in Mecklenburg County and there were uh, thousands of people coming to know Jesus and, and people were coming to church. I mean, just imagine your wildest dreams. Let's, imagine, let's just go crazy, okay? And Sunday mornings, there's not a car on the street because everybody's in church, all right? That's going crazy because you go, you know, if we were outside right now, there's more cars on the street than people in church. But let's go crazy, okay? So there's, everybody's in church, but they're not here. They're at other churches. Will that be something we celebrated or something that we were sad about? Think about that. I'm probably kind of sad about it in some ways, but I shouldn't be. Because we're not here to increase me or increase this church, we're here to increase the kingdom of God. And if, and if people are, are being saved and coming to the Lord, we celebrate that and rejoice. The, the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner is saved. We should as well, whether that happens at Olive Branch or any other church. Uh, one last thing about numbers. Numbers never tell us if we're doing the will of God. They never tell us that. What they do tell us is whether people want to join with what we're doing or like what we're doing, you could even say. Isn't that true with anything? If you have a party and you've got one person at it, or you have a party and you have 50 people at it, that means 50 people wanted to be there for some reason. It's the same as with church or with anything. People will come to things they want to be at, and they'll be part of things that they want to be part of their life. So that's what numbers do tell us, but they don't tell us the will of God. Because think about this, when Gideon was going to uh, fight the enemy, God said, you have too many people. He had thousands, an army of thousands. God said, uh-uh, uh-uh, let's whittle that down. We've got to whittle that down about 100 people or so. You've got way too many to do the work I want you to do. And I always think of John the Baptist. When he began his ministry, he had crowds coming to him, and he was baptizing. And even the religious leaders came from Jerusalem, and they wanted to see him and ask him questions. His ministry was thriving. He baptized Jesus and introduced Jesus to the people. And from that point on, people started following Jesus. John's followers were discouraged. They came to John and said, John, everyone's leaving you. They're following Jesus. They were upset about that. And, and John said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's always what ministry is about. It's never about one person. It's never about one church. It's always about Jesus. And as long as we are pointing people to Jesus, as long as his kingdom is growing, as long as Jesus is being celebrated, then... We're doing what we're supposed to do. Whether I, as Pastor Wayne, get any kind of accolades or any kind of uh, applause, doesn't matter. Whether Olive Branch is filled to the rim ceiling with people and it gets applause, 
If it's not increasing Jesus, then it's not what we're called to do. Things can be discouraging. What did the people in Nehemiah's day do when they were discouraged and disappointed? They prayed. They trusted God. I love this, these verses here that Nehemiah says. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. Do you hear his words? These are after the enemy has attacked them verbally and has attacked, threatened to attack them physically. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord. He also says later, wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So this is the encouraging news. As I said earlier, we're serving God. We're doing His work. So God will fight for us. He is with us. And He is, as Nehemiah reminds us, the great and awe-inspiring Lord. That's who He is. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be discouraged. After Nehemiah prayed and after uh, the people uh, trusted God, they planned and they continued the work. This is what they did. Nehemiah realized that the threat was real, that they could be attacked. So he took half of the builders and he made them soldiers. So half the people were there to protect the other half who were working. And even the people who were working, they also had swords with them. So they would have a, a trowel in one hand, they'd have a sword in the other hand. In the verse I just read, they also had this uh, alarm system that if they heard the trumpet sound... They were to all gather to where the trumpet was, and that's where the attack would be coming, and they would then get all everybody together, and they would defend that part of the wall. So they had an excellent plan in place, but this is the greatest thing, the best thing. They kept working. Even though they had gotten low, even though they had gotten discouraged and thought the task was impossible, and they thought they would never complete it, after they prayed after they were inspired by Nehemiah's speech about trusting in God, and after they made a great plan, they continued the work. And they finished the work in 52 days. What kind of construction project gets done in 52 days? I mean, nothing. The, uh, the most frustrating th to me when it comes to uh, road construction are bridges. I don't know why bridges take five years to repair when they're a bridge, you know. They can pave a road in an evening, but it takes them five years to fix a bridge. I guess I'm glad when I go over and it doesn't collapse. So I guess I should be thankful for that. But 52 days, they completed the work. So they went from let's go to being discouraged to praying, trusting, planning, and working and completed the task and the work that they had set out to do in the beginning. That's the great news. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, trust God, and we're going to plan and we're going to work. Why I'm sharing this with you today is because, in fact, uh, this afternoon our planning committee is getting together to talk about these very things, what we're going to do in the future. I think we're at a perfect time in our church uh, life right now to uh, pray, uh, to trust what God wants to do in the future, and to plan, think about that, seek His will, and come up with some plans to do that. And then get to it. Let's go. Let's do the work and see what God is going to bless us with. As I said, even as the worship attendance has been up and down as a roller coaster, you know, my seven years here has been an up and down roller coaster. 
with my health and with Anthony's leaving and with Pastor Brandon coming. And now Pastor Brady's here. We're excited about that. But it has been a roller coaster. I think right now uh, we have Pastor Brady here. We don't have to look for a youth pastor now. And we have uh, a youth pastor who, uh, with myself, make a great team. And we have a great staff here. We have great people here. We have everything we need. It's just, I feel like we're like Nehemiah when he has the task ahead of him and he's got all the resources. And now let's go. Let's get it done. And that's where we are. So if you want to help us out, you can. You don't have to. But this is an opportunity. If you want to answer these questions, uh, in your bulletin is a piece of paper. You can fill that out. You can hand it to me. You can put it in the, uh, my box or Pastor Brady's box or the secretary's box. You notice our doors all have those boxes on them. Put it in there. Hand it to someone to get it to us. Uh, the, the point is, if you want to give input, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Uh, but I think these are excellent questions that you can ask not only for Olive Branch, but you can ask about your personal life. You know, what are you doing well, or what are we as a church doing well that we need to keep doing? What are we doing that we should be doing, but we've got to improve it because we're not doing it the best we could? What are we doing that we shouldn't be doing? Churches do that all the time. They are uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing anymore. Because either they're not effective, or times have changed, or they're a hindrance, or it's not in the will of God. So why are we doing it? Also, all the time, there's things that we could be doing, but we're not doing. So we want to do those things if we're not doing them right now. So I know there's five different areas, and there's four different questions. That's 20 different questions if you answered all of them. So that's a lot. But the reason I have those categories is because that's what we are called to do as a church. We're called to worship to disciple, to care for one another, to reach out. That's what a church does. If we're not doing those four things, then we are not being obedient to God. And honestly, if we're doing things other than those four things, we're being disobedient to God. Because again, we're a church. We're not a social club. Uh, we're not a, 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 a compassion ministry, whatever. We're a church. And those are the four things God has called us to do. Also, the last one is facilities and technology. Because we've got to do those things with those things. You know, we worship in a building, and we play basketball in a gym, and uh, <clears throat> you go to our website to find information. So we do those things, those four things, with facilities and technology. But that is what I want to share with you this morning from Nehemiah and also last week from Caleb. Uh, as you've heard, Sarah and I are, and the whole family, all five of us are going to England. Uh, we're leaving Thursday, coming back uh, following Saturday, so we'll be there for about ten days. So pray for us. It's a great celebration for Sarah, her birthday. She hasn't celebrated her birthday with her family since she was 17. So this will be a time for her to do that. Also, it's exciting for me. I haven't been to England since I've been sick. So it's been four years, I think, since I've been there. So I haven't seen uh, some of her family since then. So we're excited about the trip. Pray for us. Uh, I'll be back. Pastor Brady's preaching next week. And he's also generous to preach the Sunday morning when I'll be here with you but I will be jet-lagged. And so he's going to preach so I don't have to fall asleep here in front of you. And, uh, and the, like I said, the planning committee is getting together. Great things are happening, and we're moving forward. So I'm excited about that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll close our service uh, worshiping him. Father, we thank you that you call us to be a church. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have given us uh, a purpose. You have given us a resource. And more than that, Lord, I'm thankful you have given us you, your presence with us and your, um, your call on us, is, Lord, is what we're so thankful for. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, all of us, leaders, 
attenders, everyone as part of this church, to see your will clearly and to not be afraid and to do it. And Lord, when we get discouraging news or when we get people who would tell us we can't, I pray, Lord, at that time that we would do what Nehemiah did. We would continue to pray and trust in you, come up with a great plan and continue to work. You are such a great God. We want to serve you and love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, stand with me. We're going to close our service with a song, Worshiping the Lord. But also, I'm here to pray with you. If you have any need, uh, I'll be here. Make any commitment sure to the Lord. Let's sing. Let's respond. <laughs>